Okay, so our passage today is going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. If you're in your pew Bibles, we're looking at pages, or just page 828. So 828 in your pew Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 14, finishing out the chapter to verse 21. So Ephesians 3, 14 page 828 in your pew bibles let's let's read this together for this reason i kneel before the father from whom the, his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name i pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I wasn't sure if I was reading or praying there. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. So in our passage today, Paul is praying. He's actually praying for the church in Ephesus, that church in the Mediterranean and he's praying to the Father. It says, from whom all families on earth derive their name. It's a prayer that God's love would change them, change them as a church, and that their, God's love would fill the church as well. That they would know a love that is so big, it is virtually unknowable. Wrap your head around that. A love so big, it's virtually unknowable. And that this knowledge would penetrate deep, deeper than just their brains can, can, can have the ability to explain. Now we're going to walk through this passage, and I'll, I'll highlight a couple of the key themes I see in it. And later in the passage, I'm going to reflect on um, thoughts I've had recently um, in my in my life as a counselor. Um, so for those who don't know me, I, I work full-time as a counselor in addition to pastoring. Um, and I think a lot about the ways that faith and counseling interact. So I'll talk a little bit about that later in the sermon. I hope that as we study this text, I mean, Paul's prayer becomes our prayer, that we would encounter God's transforming love and that it would shape us into a generative community that gives and that loves, that reflects, that mirrors that love out. So there are three themes that I want to highlight in this passage. The first theme I want you to notice is the Trinity, the Godhead, three in one. This prayer names the persons of the Trinity and announces all the fullness of God. So verse 14, we start with this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. So we have named the Father. A few verses later in verse 16... I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power of his spirit. 
So we have the, the Holy Spirit named. And in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We have named Christ the Son. So we have the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, all three members of the Trinity, the Godhead. So when we read a couple of verses later in verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, what do we have in mind there? We have the Godhead. We have the three-in-one God that comes to mind. By this point, we've moved past the specificity of each member of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and we're talking about the Trinity. He's talking about the fullness of God experienced through prostration before the Father, through kneeling, through the power given by the Holy Spirit, and through union with the Son. Okay, so that's the first theme I want you to hold on to, the Trinity. And before I move on, I want to mention a term that is going to come up later, and that's inseparable operations. That's a fancy theological term, but that means that anytime God does anything, it's not just one member of the Trinity doing it. Actually, every member of the Trinity is doing it all together. I've always loved that term. Um, so what one member of the Godhead does is never done in isolation, but it's dependent on and supported by the other members of the Godhead. Okay, so Trinity, first theme. The second theme I want you to notice in this passage is doxology. A doxology is a worshipful response. That is saying, hallelujah, praise you, God. This passage is a doxology because it is actually the conclusion of the whole first three chapters of Ephesians. The letter of Ephesians opens in no small way. You can turn back to chapter 1, verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then it says, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ? I mean, come on. And then if we were drinking, or if we were reading this text, um, in Greek, we, we would see 202 words with no specific punctuation added that throw out those blessings one by one without pause. It's almost like drinking from a fire hose. Ephesians tell us that, tells us that God chose us in Christ before day one of creation, before page one of this Bible, God chose us to be set apart and rescued to be new, to be adopted into his family. Why? Because he wanted to. He wanted to show us his love and gracious kindness, gracious enough to save us through the work of Christ, to redeem us, to forgive us. In God's wisdom, he showed us his eternal plan so that we would have hope, so that we would be a people of hope, that in Christ, one day everything would be made right. And because Christ's reign is supreme and universal, through tr trusting in Jesus' work and his work alone, we are secure in God, raised up into union with Christ. In essence, we are already seated in the heavenly realm already seated. All of this is God's grace at work in us. This is His grace. So our passage comes on the back of all of that, and it rises like a song as a response to God's gifts. It's a doxology. It's a song. It's saying thank you. The good things that come with being 
an adopted child of God are worth saying thank you for. Being a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. Being brought near to the heart of God. Our passage begins with the words, for this reason. Right? What is the reason? I mean, the reason is everything that came before this passage. There's an avalanche of reasons that tunnel at you if you read this uh, in one sitting. Paul's prayer is that the church would sing along, that, that they would know this, this song, that they would long for this love to be imprinted on them, that they would sing the song he's singing. He prays this in verses 18 and 19 that they, that the church, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, he wants his people, God's people, to know a love that is beyond knowledge, surpassing knowledge, to know the unknowable. I mean, he knows he's praying for the impossible here which is why he breaks into another song in verses 20 and 21. To him who is able to do abundantly more than we ask or imagine, right? He's, he's appealing to this God whose, whose ability knows no limits. After communion every week, we ask, what other response can we have to this but one of praise? I mean, this is what doxology is. This is the heart of Paul's prayer, that we would know the unknowable knowledge, and that, that knowledge would penetrate so deep that it goes beyond our ability to explain it and shapes us to the very core of who we are. Knowing God's love is not just a heart thing. It's a community thing as well, and that's our third theme. So our first theme was Trinity. Our second theme is doxology, and our third theme is family. I want you to notice family in this. So in verse 1, we see, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul names the Father, pater in Greek, from whom every family, patria in Greek, gets its name. It's a play on words. It's a, it's a, a derivation of Father. As adopted people, Jesus invites us to relate to God as our Father, to call God our Father. We are part of the family. And this is a really important thing. It's at the very heart of the gospel. There's this movement in the Old Testament from a people that build hedges around the sacred name of God to this audacious kinship name, Abba, a common household name for Father, Imagine that movement from, from not even speaking the name of God to using the same word for him that you use for your father on earth. God is designated as father only 11 times in the Old Testament, and every time it's the father of Israel, and it's never in the context of a prayer. And if you compare that with the ministry of Jesus, Jesus calls God father 170 times. And that's the only word that he uses in prayer. One writer says it this way, the intimacy and accessibility of the Almighty God is the essence of Jesus' good news. 
the intimacy and the accessibility of the Almighty God. God is not distant, aloof, not anti-human, not angry, sullen, or withdrawn. God draws near, very near. God is with us. So family, all of the you language in this passage is plural. Verse 16, I pray that out of the, his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, that is all of you, with power through his spirit in your, all of your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your, all of your hearts. He's talking to the church. Verse 18 it bids us to comprehend the incomprehensible together with all the saints. That language, together with all the saints. And verse, verses 20 and 21 climax with Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his work that is within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, in us, in the church, throughout all generations. This is a family that is bigger than a collection of believers within these four walls, right? Within our denomination, within this place in the global scheme, within America, within this time in history. This is bigger than all of that. You know, I remember going to Scotland uh, for my studies and stepping into a Scottish church. Um, a friend of mine, Max, he had done a master's degree over in Scotland the year before and had really gone deep in a church there. And so he said, Kyle, you guys have to check this out. And so Lissy and me, we did. Um, and I remember Christ, uh, Christine, she was a woman at the church, and she greeted me. And I'm going to try a Scottish accent here. You guys have to have mercy. Um, she said, Hello! Oh, you come here, you. Any friend of Max is a friend of mine. Oh, really, I should say a friend of Jesus, eh? And I remember that so distinctly. Um, but it's true, right? The Holy Spirit joins Christians to the life of Jesus. That transcends one church. You step into another church, you are still stepping into God's family as adopted sons and daughters of God. In a very real sense, because we are united with Christ, the church is invited to do the things that Christ did. And, I will say, participate in the inner life of the Trinity, doing the things the Trinity does. With Christ as our head, there is an inseparable operation between the actions of the invisible, capital C, church and the action of God. That is the surest compass to, to lead the church is doing the things Christ did, loving with the same love Christ loved because Christ is our head and we are united with Christ. We participate in the inner life of the Trinity, doing the things the Godhead does, <laughs> existing at a depth of love that I don't think any of us can wrap our heads around, really. So it's important that we grasp God's love, which is the prayer we're asked for. But that stands, um, the thing we, we take from that is that love is the thing that stands at the base of God's own action in the world. Love is what directs what we do. Our actions follow God's actions. Adopted people 
who share a Father in heaven relate to one another the way that God relates within the Trinity. I know I'm getting really esoteric here, but that's why we become family to one another, because within the Godhead there is family. That's what the church is. And what the kingdom breaking in feels like, it feels like belonging to family, a loving, caring family, a corrective model of family built on mutual submission, dependence, service to one another. It feels like belonging to that sort of family that, that helps us to understand the love of God a little bit better. That's what Paul gets into in the second half of Ephesians, this cr 